0: This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters and I'm Marcus Harvey. Community is a word that we often hear, but what does it mean to live in community and what role do relationships play in our sense of community? Marcus and I have explored these questions in previous shows. We'll revisit this topic and these questions today in a conversation with Dr. Meredith Doster, the deputy director and lead faculty for the William C. Friday Fellowship for Human Relations. Marcus and I are really glad that you're joining us today, and that you're continuing, continuing to tune into these conversations. Marcus, I continue to hear really, really good feedback about uh, people's reaction to the show, especially in its new format, its new time. Uh, a, a number of people have told me, Marcus, that look, we're glad you guys have an hour now because some of the the topics that you're bringing up, you know, you can it gives us the opportunity to have a
1: deeper dive into those conversations. It is, and you I, I have to say it's hard to believe that this is this will be our seventy fourth show. I believe it's just it's really hard to believe, and um, you know, it's it's always uh, it's always energizing to know that um, listeners are out there giving us positive feedback on the show. It gives us a reason to keep working on the show hard. It gives it gives the show a reason to continue to exist, and I have to say. that one of the things I've finally um, that I'm finally remembering to do is to mention the show to the students I teach at UNC Asheville (laughs) at the beginning of of, of the semester. And so I I really did that in a very intentional way um, when classes began two weeks ago, and I was just curious to see what, you know, we're on Zoom. Um, so I wasn't quite sure what kind of reactions I would see. So I was curious to see. And I did it both for my own sort of selfish reasons, but also as a kind of science experiment. Right. 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 So um, so so I did it. And I was I was and I must say um, my my ego was 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 well fed because I was really <laughs> I was really pleased and just absolutely delighted to see students actually writing down um, the information and actually asking for the name of the show to be repeated. Mm-hmm. Right. So that tells me that there's that there's enthusiasm around the show. Um, among college-age college, college age students as well. So right. I'm excited about that,
0: brother. Yeah, apparently you you <laughs> must be responsible for all of the new uh, likes that we're getting on Facebook. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, yeah. Speak, and, and, and speaking the of classes, up, you, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, hey, it's it's all good. So, um, you know, I take every opportunity that I, I can to kind of promote. I, um, I'll just mention to you, and I don't think that I mentioned this to you and to our listeners, I had a lengthy conversation last week with a producer for uh abc news dateline and they were interested in talking about some of the issues that are going on here especially around these these conversations about reparations here in Asheville and buncombe county and so they were trying to get a little bit of historical understanding of the city and the region and so, you know, since I've studied that, you know, my name came up in the conversation and they reached out and I had a really good conversation with them. And so I told them, I told them right away, I said, look, you can go do your own research here. I'll send, I sent them about four links to the Waters and <laughs> <Wow>. Harvey show.
2: <laughs> so oh, wow, so wow, we wow. have a
0: producer in in New York who's listening to the show, digging deep into some of the conversations that we've had, especially Marcus, those conversations with Alfred Whitesides, who is now mm-hmm. on the Buncombe County Commission. Because when you think about those issues of urban renewal that took place in many cities throughout the country. Here and where we're located here in Asheville, you know, people like Al and James Ferguson, Attorney James Mm -hmm. Ferguson, who you and I had the opportunity to talk to, they were right in the middle of that also as Mm -hmm. students helping to lead the work to integrate Asheville. So I, you know, I really appreciate what we've been able to do with this project, really look forward to what we're able to continue to do as we move forward. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad to hear um, that. It sounds to me, Marcus, that you're you're getting used to this Zoom platform.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, it, it's either that or Zoom is getting used to me. I haven't figured right? which one which one it is, but I, I'm hoping that it's the it's the former. But no, it's, I'm I yeah, and I did not know about the ABC News conversation. I, I'm excited to hear about that, and you know well, What that just makes me. What that reminds me of is that, you know, the show is it it is doing the work of being of service. It is of service to the community, um, uh, both student and non-student. Um, and also to communities, institutions, and now even news mm-hmm. outlets um, right. beyond the boundaries of, um, of of North Carolina. So uh, this is great news. And, you know, right. this is I'm also finding this, this tends to be your M.O. to surprise me with things um, <laughs> yeah. when we go on air, right. remember on the air. Um, <laughs> right. Good job. Good job <laughs> right. Job. You got me right.
0: Well, you know, and you know, I have to take the moment in the early stages of the show here to ask you, you know, we we talk often on the phone as we, as we as we have mentioned to our to our listeners and Marcus and I you know we we rib each other because one of the two of us will call the other and say look I'm not going to hold you on the phone long then we look up an hour and 45 minutes to 2 hours later and the conversation is still going and, and getting quite deep but I know uh we were talking about you know uh the whole issue of COVID and what we're going through mm-hmm. with that, and how it has impacted schools around the country, universities around the country, and I know that you, um, you and I were talking, and you were going to be teaching most of your classes this semester
1: online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can, can, can you tell us a little bit, Marcus, about how that's going? Yeah. Well, um, you know, we, we were talking a little bit about this prior to the show, as you as you remember. Uh, initially, I was resistant because I'm 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 a traditionalist. Mm-hmm when it
0: comes to
1: no 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 hardline traditions when it comes to um uh teaching you know when it comes to the work of of, of being a professor and so i was uh, earlier on in the i say the onset i'd say the onset of the pandemic um while while i was on sabbatical my plan was to, to still try to teach in person even if that meant you know modified classrooms me having to wear headgear facial gear what have you uh, but as as time wore on and as the pandemic worsened, um, conversations with uh, my younger sister, for example, and others convinced me that, yeah, you probably should reconsider that. And so I ended up um, making the decision uh, for the first time in my career to actually teach uh, my courses um, online only. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I really was had some reservations about that. I wasn't quite sure if that. Modality would be effective, or, or or as effective as it had been, at least for me, in a traditional brick and mortar classroom setting. Uh, but now, you know that we are what? Am, so we're two weeks and one day in to the fall 2020 semester. Mm-hmm. I have to say, um, the the conversations with students have been just as lively mm-hmm. as they've been or as they as they as they have been in some in semesters prior uh, pre-pandemic so you know and and so that has been a pleasant surprise now there have been a few technical challenges that i'm um working through that relate to zoom specifically but i have to say from from a from a teaching or pedagogical perspective um teaching online has not has not been the gargantuan obstacle that I at least yet imagined that I imagined it would be. So I'm again, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised, I'm surprised, surprised to, 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 to be discovering this. Yeah, <laughs> as yeah. things wear on. And and you and I you and
0: I talk too, and I think it relates to the topic that we're going to be discussing today. You know, and is bringing our audience into this conversation because I'm sure that people are feeling somewhat disconnected from each other. But this is at least a way for us to kind of reconnect, to connect with each other through through this kind of technology. But Marcus, you and I both have been saying that the human touch, being able to see people face to face and in person, you know, is not lost upon us. We're, we're reminded of of how important that is but I think yesterday a conversation that you and I had yesterday I think is worth just pointing out here as you talked about because and the reason why I'm bringing this up Marcus is because I'm now you know I now I now get mail from aARP. So I, I've reached that point in, in my life, in my life now it's very bizarre to get this <laughs> mail coming in here but one of one of my former classmates in high school at TC Robertson the other day I saw him post up on Facebook that he was very happy to use his use his part AARP peak hard to get his 10% discount at some restaurant. (laughs) So it's like there's an acceptance of we're in this space. (laughs) There's a there's a tendency among us who've grown older to kind of look at the younger generation and say, okay, what are these people doing? You know, they have, you know, I've got two young sons and every now and then I wonder that with them. But Marcus, when we're in the classroom, even as you're teaching through Zoom, and you're talking with students, you're reminded of just how bright the future might be because of their engagement in the classroom. And you were talking to me about that yesterday. And I, I just want to give you an opportunity to, to address that here, because I thought that that was a rich part of that conversation. yesterday. Yeah,
1: sure, sure, sure. So um, as our listeners re- what may remember, um, uh, I think we mentioned this on the show at least once. Uh, last semester, I was on research leave, which, mean, which meant that I was not teaching. And, um, you know, I went on leave, of course, not anticipating uh, that to be the occasion of a pandemic, but it ended up being the occasion of a pandemic. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, I ended up spending um, more time isolated doing research and writing, um, perhaps than I had originally planned to. Um, and one of the things that that, that experience of, of, of pandemic-related isolation uh, has helped me to, to realize, and I think, value in, a, in in an even deeper way. Um is is the 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 the, the rich life giving um, exchanges that ensue from um the the, the, the teacher-student relationship mm-hmm. and again it it really has been a pleasant discovery to realize that even over the this 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 digital platform of Zoom, where I'm not able to walk because I you know I like to move around a lot when I'm teaching. I'm not able to walk around a classroom and look students in the eye and engage that way. And mm-hmm. um, there still has been an experience of of engagement and connection and mutual dialogue, mutual exchange that has been very rich, mm-hmm. um, and that has has really I think helped me it, it has really deepened my my connection to students mm-hmm. um in a way that again that i just did not did not expect and i think this is important even for students to hear because you know sometimes i think it's i think students get the impression that oh you know professors you know know everything mm-hmm. <laughs> you know they, they you know they don't really get get much from 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 teaching us you know they just kind of you know are, are, are tolerating us or whatever which you know is not really the case right. uh, but but no, I, I think it's important for students to hear this because what they bring to the classroom, what they bring to the learning moment uh, is also uh, is also enriching for us as professors. You know, yeah, our right. we, we also learn from their experience. We learn from how they um, make sense of information. We, we learn from their process of learning what it means to learn. Right. <laughs> right, right so, right. Um, so, yeah. So I, I think that I think that this. The, the challenges posed by Zoom, um, the ability to connect with students despite Zoom, despite the pandemic, despite the isolation, um, that that experience is really teaching me a lot. Mm-hmm. About about the importance of human relationship, the importance of human connection, right, right? And and about what's possible, I would say in in the in the digital era,
0: era, right? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was worth us taking a moment to sure. just to hear that from you, because I think that that's important, and it's a component of I think of what we're talking about. So mm-hmm. we're so glad to have our listeners join us today. And for those of you who may be just joining us, this is the Waters and Harvey Show at Blue Ridge Public Radio, and Marcus and I are talking talking about community we've been talking about this for a while and we, we kind of want to move forward in the conversation a little bit deeper we're going to be talking in a few minutes with dr. Meredith doster mm-hmm. who is a really good friend and someone who is doing tremendous work in this area as well I I would actually say helping us to build what I like to say Marcus building those bridges of mutual understanding mm-hmm. rather than building walls taking mm-hmm. rather than building walls that divide us and I think that this this time period that we going through people be seem to be starved for re-engaging in and- reconsidering what it means to be in a community and how we get there. But mm-hmm. you know Marcus in the last show you and I talked a lot about John Lewis and I think John Lewis stands as as a as a perfect example mm-hmm. of someone who who really throughout his life was working to broaden our sense to broaden what community was. Mm-hmm. And so I really enjoyed the time that we spent talking about John Lewis and you and I both said you no know, john lewis who just passed away you know in the forefront of the fight for civil rights in this country for many many decades and you and i both said we could have spent the entire hour just talking about Indeed. john lewis and and his life and his contribution and one of the things that we we said is that his work was to build a more inclusive community this mm-hmm. is a conversation that we are, are currently having in our country mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i think again there his life is a perfect uh, example, or ref- reflection of the things that we're discussing right now. He also was a believer and this was, I know, a, a term that Martin Luther King himself used this idea of a beloved community and, um, and helping to find and helping to find that sense of, 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 com- of community where we are able to embrace each other rather than push each other away. But Marcus, I, I, am, I marvel. I have been involved in these conversations for a while as well been working with the Institute for Emerging Issues, which is housed at, UN, at at North Carolina State University. And they were doing a series of conversations for three years about reconnect to community because people just had this real sense that uh, this, this connection to community has been lost. And I probably mentioned this on, on an earlier show as well. And our listeners will probably recall my work and engagement with the Z. Smith Reynolds Foundation, which is now being led by um, Maurice Green, uh, Mo Green. Many people across the state of North Carolina know Mo. Mo, wonderful, uh, just a wonderful person who has done a lot of work here, especially in the school systems in North Carolina, I think first in Charlotte and then in Greensboro. But he's now leading the Z. Smith Reynolds Foundation. And when he took over as executive director, you know, Marcus, you you and I talked about this, that they did kind of a Listening session across the state because they wanted to think about how the foundation was spending its money. Where was it investing its money? Could they do better? And Mo said from those conversations that there were three things that came out of the conversations that they had across the state of North Carolina. And I, I recall these because I um, I ended up giving a talk not too long ago, and I told Mo that I stole from his, uh, from his letter about mm-hmm. the themes that they saw emerging across the state. And one was that North Carolinians uh, are divided, or at least they feel divided and disconnected, but their desire is for the opposite. He also mm-hmm. said that one of the themes that emerged in their their discussions across the state was that North Carolina's that North Carolinians felt that we do not discuss race, our structural racism openly. Mm-hmm. Now,, Mario, this is two, two years ago, when he mm-hmm. two, three years ago when they were having these conversations. So that was the second theme. And the third theme, was that people knew that the that the demographic the demographic makeup of North Carolina has changed, and that building that bridges, not walls, were were required between us. So how do we get there? And this
1: is something that we've been discussing for a while. Absolutely. And you know, thinking about our conversation last time about um, or around John Lewis, John Lewis's life, um, his legacy. Thinking about the work that you did with the Z Smith Reynolds Foundation mm-hmm. and those three points. What really comes to mind for me is that community community is a verb. Community is a verb, even though much of the time um, it's used as in, in, in its noun form, right? We're mm-hmm. building a thing that mm-hmm. we call community. But, but community, it seems to me, really is a form of labor. No, mm. absolutely. Really, it it really is work, and and I think that John Lewis, John Lewis's life, his practical life as as a freedom activist, um, embodied this this idea. You know, community as practice, mm-hmm. community as work, and to take it a step further. And this is a, this I think is, is is an important point to make as we think about community and John Lewis's legacy. Uh, John Lewis, you know, building community—it sounds wonderful. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, it sounds like a like, like a beautiful, almost utopic endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what I think John life, John Lewis's life forces us to confront is that if we're serious about building community then we have to be willing to suffer right, right. in order to build community. Lewis was willing to suffer. Mm. He was willing to have his skull cracked open, mm. right? In the, in, in the name of, for the sake of, for the project of forging right. um, a more equitable, more democratic American community. Um, and so <clears throat> I think we really are at a point in this country's history where uh, People are ready to Mm -hmm. to 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 think about and discuss community on that level in a different way, where in in a different way, where uh, where where we we have to make practical commitments. And to reference James James Baldwin, James Baldwin here, knowing that those those practical commitments will bring with them certain risks. Right. Certain dangers, because, again, to quote Baldwin again, to commit is to subject yourself to, to commit to act is right. to subject yourself to some form of danger, some form it of is. risk. It and is, and so in order to build community in this way, we have to be willing to do that. You're right. We do. And Marcus,
0: you know, I I couldn't, you know, your words should be emphasized for us all about the work of building community, the work that it takes to build and to have a vibrant and active democracy. We talk a lot about democracy as well. As a historian, Marcus, and someone who has studied Alexis de Tocqueville, I'm always bringing him up. To me, de Tocqueville is his book, especially Democracy in America, is the textbook of America. Mm -hmm. I think that it should be read by everyone. So, you know, remember we had the conversation with David Blight, and I remember seeing a lecture that David gave where he asked the students th- th- at Yale, you know, how many of you have read uh, W.E.B. Du Bois's The Souls of Black Folks? Mm-hmm. And when he didn't get a- the response that he thought he should have got, especially at Yale, he said, no one should get a degree from Yale unless mm-hmm. you've read this text, mm-hmm. right? I agree with him. It's a part of the American canon. You must read it. And so we had David on the show, and David did confess. He said, well, Darren, he said, when it comes to books and and just intellectual activity, he said, I pretty much say that about every book that there is out there. You know, so (laughs) (laughs) it's like read a book. But he said, you know, that being said, that uh, Du Bois' book was still important for us to engage. I feel the same way about Du Bois' work. Mm-hmm. So many of the other authors that you and I have talked about, you mentioned James Baldwin, James Baldwin being another. I also believe that about that early text, 1835, of, of Alexis de Tocqueville's Democracy mm-hmm. in America, because he re, he reveals for Marcus, it from Marcus. I, I leave his work really wondering, have we ever in America had a real mm-hmm. true sense of what it means to be a community? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he 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 tends to suggest that we are we are very willing to kind of pass the responsibility of what mm-hmm. it means to live in community to do that hard work off to some government entity as soon mm-hmm. as that government entity kind of enters into the conversation. So we pass it off and we go on about our business of money making, right. buying things, which, you know, I, and Marcus, you and I both as educators. And we'll hear this from Meredith as well when she when she joins this conversation. You know, we believe that there's more to life than just getting just buying and getting things and just making money. There's more to making a life. And so I think that engaging what Alexis de Tocqueville says in democra- in Democracy in America" is very important, and it really, in my in my in my opinion, buttresses the points that you just made about the hard work of actually building community. Yes, so yes. look, so we we want to shift. I think we want to shift here and bring uh, Dr. Meredith Doster into this conversation about, you know, what does it mean to be in community? Mm -hmm. And really Marcus, we, you know, even though I'm the one who's raising the question here, this really is, this is your question about relationship Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. what role does relationship play in building community? And in the last conversation, and I want to come back to it in a few minutes, but, you, you um, spent a great deal of time talking about story, story mm-hmm. as well. And Meredith uh, Doster, who is joining us today, is someone who I know knows the power of a story. I have to say this about Meredith. Meredith is a really good friend of both Marcus and I. And Meredith and Marcus have a connection that they'll probably talk about here in just a few minutes. But Marcus, let me just say this. I've had the opportunity to read some of Meredith's writing. And um, I told her on the phone, it's writing that makes me sick because she does so, it is so well done. Now, I don't know if this has a lot to do with the fact that you all uh, share uh, someone who was, both your dissertation advisor, Diane, and Diane uh, Stewart was also uh, on uh, Meredith's dissertation committee. But it, she writes beautifully. Meredith, there is a poetic nature and rhythm to your writing. So, you you know, I, it's something that I want to get for, uh, it, that I want to incorporate into my writing as well. But we're glad to have Dr. Meredith Doster here on the show with us today. And as I mentioned earlier, she is the deputy director, Director of the William C. Friday Fellowship for Human Relations. She's the lead faculty member. I am honored to actually be joining her as she does that work over the next couple of years. But Meredith, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking the time to join Marcus and I today. Welcome, Meredith. Glad to have
2: you. you. Thank you both for having me. What a pleasure just to listen in to your opening remarks to one another. It's always a gift to to find yourself present to a relationship that has some real roots. And I was like, I'm just sitting here, I'm doing my taking notes thing, just so enjoying the nature of your conversation.
0: Well, I'm
2: glad
0: I am glad because, you know, the one thing that I know about Marcus and I know about you as well, Meredith, uh, given both of your backgrounds of sharing someone in common who helped work on your dissertations that your critique can be pretty brutal. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Well, no, I, we I think, think
1: I, I I think Meredith is far, a far uh, more strident critic than I am. But no. <laughs> well,
2: I always try to be. I'm kidding I'm kidding I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm
0: kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, Meredith, <laughs> Meredith. So, the, thank you for joining us. But again. It, it, Tell us where you are. I mean, I'm—we're all on Zoom now. Our audience members can't see us, but we can see each other. And I'm seeing this very good. I have been out to Meredith's house before, but I've, you know, not sat in the room where she is. But it is in the background of all of these books, you know. And I, I'm a lover of books, both Marcus and I. But it looks like a great space to be in. We have spent time on the front porch, which was just great. But um, just tell us where you are.
2: Sure. Well, I am chiming in today from my home office up in Mars Hill which is located in Madison County just north of Asheville and mm-hmm. my husband is originally from Western North Carolina so we uh, he was born in Spruce Climb but raised just just in the UNCA neighborhood and so we mm-hmm. moved back to this part of the country as I was finishing up my PhD at Emory and Religious Studies and I know we've referred in passing to Dr. Diane Stewart and hope we'll be able to lift her up again in a moment when we explore our relationships mm-hmm. but I am here in my home Office uh, and you indeed, I do have quite the library behind me. What you can <laughs> see is that I also am literally surrounded by books. I have sort of a pile of books to my right and to my left, and I like to think that the ones that I'm really uh, working with at the moment are closer, you know, in proximity. There's mm-hmm. something about being proximate to a text that really gets the gets the creative juices flowing. But. Um, right. I work remotely for the most part. And so I'm really um, delighted to have a, a space where I'm both hunkering down for the pandemic, but also able to continue my work both for the Friday Fellowship and for a research lab at Emory right. University. that continues. Well, to support.
0: Yeah, Meredith, that's the one thing I wanted to say. And then Marcus, you just jump in here. You wear more hats than one, many hats. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, she was once on, on staff and administrator out at Mars Hill University as well, but just doing so much rich work across the state of North Carolina and um, and at one time I have to I have to just mention this you and I ran into each other at a rest stop area as we I think you were coming in one direction from across the state and I was on my way in the, in the opposite direction but you know it is just great to have a uh, such a wonderful friend who's involved in this work across the state.
2: Thank you. Actually, every time I pass that, it, I believe it's the, uh, that is the rest area I've just past Old Fort on the other side of Old Fort. Mountain. <laughs> yes. Every time I pull in, I always think of that moment. I was like, well, right. Darren and I once That's met up. You know, right. We were going, And I believe, you know, because it pertains to our conversation today, I believe I was with a couple of Friday fellows when we oh, okay. met Darren okay. at, the, at the rest shop. We were on our way to one of our seminar convenings. Wow, and wow. I think we chatted at length in the car we about did. who you are and why we know one another <laughs> and why we were excited.
0: To be
1: seeing one another in a parking You're right, parking. all right. Well, Mark, awesome, awesome. <laughs> well, well, Meredith, you know, Darren just mentioned a moment ago that you that, that the three of us share a relationship now that has been rich and and productive on a number of levels. But before um, I even really, I think, became acquainted with Darren, or around the time that I became acquainted with Darren, I also became acquainted with you. Uh, you and I both having gone through Emory's doctoral program in religion. Uh, Dr. Diane Stewart was my advisor. She was on your, on your dissertation committee. Uh, but could you tell our listeners a little bit about how our how our relationship um, sort of emerged and developed? Uh, Meredith has really become uh, um, really, a, um, in many ways, <clears throat> Both a friend and a confidant, a, a, a friend and a professional confidant mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that, I, that I've shared quite a bit with um, over the past uh, three, four, five years. So, so, Mer- so I'm, cur- I'm curious to hear from you, Meredith, your story, <laughs> your, <laughs> your story <laughs> of, of our relationship yeah, <laughs> and sure. the various interconnections that 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 exist there.
2: So, certainly well because i think it always for me goes back to the story that gives relationship or vice versa you know what comes first the story or relationship and mm. i'm so honored to just lift up dr diane Stewart's name i know she was not my doctoral advisor but was such a key key um, figure and really intellectual um, guide for me at emory and i'll say you know the way that you and i met uh, marcus is 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 so tied into my work and relationship with diane and, and and certainly then by extension, Darren, how we met because, and this goes, I had to go through my notes. This goes back to fall of 2012 when I began my doctoral program at Emory. And and um, I you know I was in American religious cultures and and ended up taking Diane's uh, um, course called African Religions in the Americas Knowledge place and Performance And mm-hmm. that seminar experience um, has really been at the foundation of so much of my own intellectual development and mm-hmm. so many different relationships. there are partnerships across my professional life right now that really all stem from that mm-hmm. seminar table. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you know one of the things that happened after that. uh, Dr. Stewart and I really worked closely together for several years and ultimately ended up teaching a class together. We developed and taught a class together really looking at the role of difference in the intellectual genealogies of a black and white religious bodies in the U.S. South. And that became just a rich point of conversation and a, a deep commitment that I have continued to le- lean into around co-teaching in mm-hmm. any capacity. And so mm-hmm. um, Dr. Stewart was very gracious to um, include me in the invitation you extended to the 2015 Sam Hill Lecture in Southern yeah. Religion at UNCA. And so, uh-huh. you know, it was from it was in the context of a very particular kind of relationship that. Dr. Stewart extended an invitation for the two of us to connect. Mm-hmm. And Darren, if I remember correctly, I believe you introduced me that evening. I think you introduced uh, Diane and I that evening for was our it, public lecture. And that's where it, you and I officially met.
0: That's right. Was it, was it me or was it Marcus? Did you did you do it, Marcus? It I don't me? remember. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, but I think, that. Diane, one way or the other, you, you, yeah. you are right. And then yeah, yeah, we did yeah. the radio show together um, mm-hmm. when we, we were did. doing that's our right. show right. at a Another at another location. And it mm-hmm. was just a beautiful conversation that we had. And the relationship has just grown since, since that time. And mm-hmm. I can't help, but think about, you know, and you, you connected this so well, Meredith, and what you had to say, because it connects with, with that in what I call just was a brilliant siloquy by Marcus. in the last conversation that we had about story as the entryway into relationship. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here thinking about my own experiences with my professional Professors, especially at the graduate school level. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the interesting thing about UNC Asheville and mo- both Marcus and I being there as professors is because of its commitment to the humanities and undergraduate research. On some level, it almost is like a graduate school uh, experience in the sense that you're working so closely with students, You small classroom sizes. You know, I happened to see one of my students just yesterday uh, who I haven't, uh, you know, I had her in class. Uh, Olivia was her name. I had her in in class maybe five years ago. But you don't forget these students. Mm -hmm. And she just happened to be in town. I was in a restaurant and I saw her and we just had this kind of wonderful moment of reconnecting. These are really relational. That last, you know, throughout the remainder of your life as you build Mm -hmm. them. And I'm in in Meredith. So I, I greatly appreciate what you just said about working with Diane and your time at Emory and how are I. And how our relationships have developed, because, you know, what's central to that is that professor-student relationship that Marcus talked so much about just a few minutes ago. Absolutely. So it, it's, it's, it's wonderful to think about that. If we could transition here just for a few minutes, because we've talked a lot already about your work with the William C. Friday uh, Fellowship for Human Relations, we've t- and we we're mentioning the name of William C. Friday. Now, I have to say that as a North Carolinian, a native North Carolinian, I have always been an admirer of William Friday. Um, and many people are going to know who you, how, you know, I don't know, and, and not to insult anybody, but I would say, okay, you're not a good North Carolinian if you don't know who Bill Friday is. I will say all the time, you're not a good Southerner if you've never read Robert Penn Warren. And I do mean that, you know, so like, he's one of those Southern writers that you have, to, that you must read. But Bill Friday, for us as North Carolinians, he just stands out as just a real gem of what the state represented during his lifetime. When we think about the University of North Carolina system, he was the first system president because he brought the system mm. together as it is. And I know that he was, um, I think he was one of the speakers. Or he was he was serving as president of the system at the time when uh, President John F. Kennedy spoke uh, I, over 50 years ago at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, and I remember seeing those pictures. But Meredith, he ended his career with that wonderful show that he did on UNC-TV called North Carolina people. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I remember so much about that show was that it was about storytelling and telling people stories. He and my mentor were just very close friends, Dr. John Hope Franklin and William Friday. William C. Friday had such a close relationship. But, you know, Meredith, can you just tell us a little bit about William Friday and then also about the fellowship itself? How did this fellowship start? how long has it been in existence and, and mm. what is the purpose of the fellowship?
2: Sure, no, I'll be glad to pivot us in this direction. And it's interesting. I, I so appreciate your naming that. Well, you know, you're not really North Carolinian if you don't, <laughs> you don't know who Bill Friday is. And so I, by that definition, I will say I'm learning to be a North Carolinian because I am, mm. while I have deep family ties to the state, this is not necessary. I have not lived here for very long. And so Bill Friday was a new name for me when I applied to the fellowship several years ago, and I i was uh, a member of the most recent cohort to move through the fellowship program. So I am learning, um, and, and alongside anyone who is listening, who Bill Friday might be and why he might matter to the state. And so certainly, Darren, you've already lifted up that Bill Friday was the first president of the UNC system. I mean, really was he served the UNC system for such a long tenure for thirty years, he and did. so that's a long that's a long time to really um, be overseeing a huge system and the educational system for which North Carolina um, is is known, really both nationally and internationally. A couple of other pieces that I can lift up, you know, he is uh, he was from Dallas, North Carolina. He also later in life was um, a founding co-chairman of the Knight Commission. Mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. intercollegiate athletics. He later served as the executive director of the William Keenan Jr. Charitable Trust. And then, as you've also named, was the program host and interviewer of the UNC-TV program. And certainly in the Friday Fellowship community, we also like to, to say that he was the namesake of the William C. The Friday right. Fellowship right. for Human. <laughs> right. So that is, that is another reason why we should know and appreciate his service. But I think when I talk to folks who do know Bill, Fre- or who knew Bill Friday personally, they often Mm -hmm. talk about the kind of leader he was and how much he centered relationship in his work across the state where he really had the capacity to bring people together into conversation and to, with grace and civility, to Mm -hmm. um, hold space for hard conversations. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. again, I was not fortunate enough to to meet him, um, but I know that several of our Friday fellows Mm -hmm. did have the opportunity in the early years of our fellowship program. he, He was able to come out to um, some of the launch celebrations and participate in what we call fireside chats with some of our early classes. And our fellows have often described just his warmth and his humanity um, in terms of how he showed up in a room and how he um, charged and encouraged um, leaders across the state to really show up to do the work to go back to Mm. Marcus, to your point, to do the work of being in community, not to just assume a we, but to be the Mm. we that extends an invitation across lines of difference. And so I think that he really embodied that in a beautiful way, which is Mm. why. Oh, our, our fellowship uh, is, is so delighted to to have uh, Bill Friday as our namesake. And we are, mm-hmm. I won't belabor, you know, our history. We do have a website that you're mm-hmm. welcome and encouraged to go explore. It's the fridayfellowship.org. And we are celebrating our 25th year of existence. And there's a couple of pieces I'll call out because I think they bear on both this moment and our conversation. But we are a fellowship program that is a program of a particular retreat center in a particular place. So we're Mm -hmm. a program of the Wild Acres Retreat Center, which is located in Little Switzerland right off the Blue Ridge Parkway. And I I call that out because it it matters materially that we are a program both in place and in practice of a retreat center. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be commissioned from a place that already understands itself as being set apart? And Marcus, I'm sure you can appreciate as a fellow religionist, just the concept of that which is set apart, that which we hold sacred, right? And so Uh for me as a religionist, there's such rich language that the fellowship Mm -hmm. offers. As well, I think you know what does it mean to be commissioned from a retreat center located in McDowell County? What about the mm-hmm, fact that retreat mm-hmm. center retreat center is located on grounds that were once owned by the renowned author and white supremacist Thomas Dixon? Oh wow!
1: Well, mm-hmm. well, right?
2: What well. does it mean for then the Blumenthal family to have purchased that land um, and to have built the Wild Acres Retreat Center there to in for the betterment of human relations and interfaith dialogue? Mm-hmm. And certainly, let's not forget that the land itself um, was originally both Cherokee and Catawba, Mm -hmm. you know, for those people and who are still present across the state here today. And so thinking about the fellowship and its history, you know, there's so many different directions I could go, whether I'm lifting up place or practice or people itself. But but at the 50-year history of the Wild Acres Retreat Center, the Blumenthal family Uh, they were eager to celebrate just the the success they'd had um, in bringing folks up to the mountain really to um, come together around lines of difference to explore what it might mean to be better humans together. And so Mm -hmm. in 1995, the Blumenthal's established the Wild Acres Leadership Initiative and the Friday Fellowship is the flagship program of Wild Acres Leadership Initiative. And we now have over 200 fellows across the state who have moved through a program over a 25-year period, and we're a private entity, and we're still very fortunate to be in close relationship with the Blumenthal family out of Charlotte who uh, continue to support the work of the organization. And again, you know, um, there's so many directions we could move in, but that's just a little bit about where we come from um, mm-hmm. in terms of both the organization that commissions us and and the namesake. And I'm always so so curious about what it means to have a namesake in this moment mm-hmm, I and mean, what does it mm-hmm. mean? to live into a legacy and we've certainly, you know, lifted up Dr. Diane Stewart, you know, in terms of our Marcus and I, in terms of an, an intellectual ancestor that has gifted, you know, this conversation in some ways here today, but I'm always curious about, you know, what does it mean to live into and also 25 years, 25 years later to live beyond someone's mm. name, you know, 25 years ago, we were asking different questions about humanity and human relations. Mm. And so it's a really appropriate time for our fellowship community to be mm. reckoning as we are with so many things across the state and nation, but what does it mean to take our name from this particular individual? Mm-hmm. And in so doing, what can we celebrate, but, but what else do we need to critically engage in that oh, right, name right. as well?
1: Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, Meredith, as as, you, as you're talking about uh, William Friday and uh, Darren, I've listened to your remarks about about uh, about him as well. Um, it, it just seems to me that that his life and career uh, made the creation of this fellowship inevitable. <laughs> right. Uh, but I'm, I'm just curious to know, um, Meredith, um, if if Friday himself played a role at all in the formation of this fellowship um, for human relations. So anything you have to say about that?
2: Yeah, it's a great mm-hmm. question. And and I would love to hear him talk more about that, but unfortunately <laughs> he did pass in 2012. So yeah. he was a dialogue partner to some of the founding um, folks mm-hmm. who really came together to talk about what it might mean to put this fellowship together. There was a group of, of folks largely in and, and Charlotte. I will call some of their names. Um, we had um, the Charlotte Observer publisher, Ralph mm-hmm. Neal, Attorney Jim Pressman, um, Queen's University President Billy Wireman, and uh, certainly uh, the Blumenthal's um, son, Philip Blumenthal. There were several who were present who were looking to uh, celebrate the 50th year anniversary of Wild Acres. And they actually reached out to Bill Friday for his input and advice. And he then suggested that they involve um, Robert Connor, who at the time was the director of the National Humanities Center. And, and Bob mm-hmm. Connor supported that group and really identifying and, and putting some language together about... What it might mean to bring folks together across the state to not only talk about sort of the binds and the uh, across society, but what it might mean to also do something on the other side of that talking. So, what would it mean to convene around? Um, Human relations, and then to actually enact change on behalf of the flourishing of all. And so, um, it's my understanding that Bill Friday was party to some of those conversations, and that mm-hmm. he he weighed in, and that the group uh, decided, as opposed to naming the fellowship after you know a, a distinguished international mm-hmm. star of some kind, that as a statewide fellowship, that uh, the best person. Uh, they could honor would be uh, bill Friday mm-hmm, who was mm-hmm. just known as such a humanitarian in his mm-hmm. own right and so that's how bill friday uh, I believe he was just part of those early conversations and then certainly after the fellowship was uh, up and running in the early classes and we moved classes through on a two-year cycle uh, he did participate in some of our launch uh, ceremonies and commissionings and uh, he uh, he also participated in some of the evening conversations as well and, and in fact I have some okay. of Bill friday's which here just to lift up because it's so interesting. He talked about um, the the Blumenthal's gift to the state as 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 a public trust. He's like, this is a public trust for fellows to enter into, um, and to mm-hmm. and to live into, and to use this opportunity to really transform the state. And he did, Bill Friday, lifted up the future of the state in his opening remarks in, at the for the first class. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, so we speak about the future of our state, so the question is, what will you do to correct these conditions? And he had just itemized several conditions around poverty and racism, and just the state of North Carolina in 1995. He wrote, or spoke, excuse me, how will you make your mark in finding an answer? And will you speak for these people who apparently have no voice at all?
0: Well, again, uh, you know, Meredith, this is a great conversation and we just want to take a minute just to remind our listeners that that this is the Waters and Harvey show here at Blue Ridge Public Radio. And we're talking with Dr. Meredith Doster, who is a good friend. And Marcus, I got to tell you, I think we just got the 15 minute um, uh, warning of where we are in this show. And this time seems like it's gone too, too quickly. However, we knew that this could be a problem yeah. for us <laughs> in this conversation with Meredith because we're all such good friends. And just even talking about our relationship together. Mm-hmm. Now, I, But I want to at least get into this conversation, something that Meredith has been raising in her own writing, and we have talked about it uh, with each other. And she's alluded to it in, in her last res, uh, response to your question about Bill Friday's involvement with uh, mm-hmm. actually creating. And fellowship, and that is about this idea of stepping in and leaning into relationship. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, Meredith? Could you you talk a little bit about what what does it mean to be in relationship mm-hmm. with each other, and why is this important to actually a gateway into developing a stronger sense of community and a stronger really practice of community among people? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I was just as you all were starting out, and you were talking about you know the word community and the the question of what does it mean to be in community or to create community. What is the work and the labor mm-hmm. of being in community? And I'm I I feel similarly about the concept of relationship that it is both a both a a, a verb and a noun. That to be in relationship takes um, commitment, and and effort. And one of the things, one of the reasons that we talk about relationships so much in the context of the fellowship is that it really is part of our our definition of leadership. What does it take to be an engaged and effective leader across the state? How does relationship play into the the concept of leadership um, that we are trying to lift up and so related questions that come up for me is what does it mean to lead with relationships so that the way you you show up in a space is inherently relational as opposed to You know, leading with with a different part of your your being in the way that we started here, you know, today, just talking about how we know one another. Right. And in some ways, I often know that I feel like I'm on the right track when I'm on a call with someone and we have to reschedule the call because we spent so much time doing the work of relationship that we didn't Mm -hmm. get to the work that we needed to do. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And so we need to, we actually need to do this work. But, but what the Friday fellowship really lifts up is that the relationship that it takes to actually do work, especially across lines of difference, that that is its own lift and that requires its own attention. And we've just gotten really poorly out of practice with that um, in our polarized mm-hmm. world. We do not, we love the amen corner. Everyone wants to sit <laughs> there, right? Like, <laughs> like, you know, I just want to be blessed all day long, but really, <laughs> The work, the charge of the fellowship is not to stay there, um, but mm-hmm. instead to really reach across one of the, one of the thinkers we'd like to lift up, and I'm just powerfully aware that we have not lifted up um, we've lifted up some some men in terms of the history of the fellowship, but at the in the circle itself, we often lift up the voice and story of Ella Baker.
1: Okay. No, and
2: okay. her her call for, for us all to go back to the people, the neighbors that aren't speaking to us, right? What does it what does it take? Mm-hmm. And that is not a simple invitation because you first have to notice that your neighbors aren't speaking to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, right. right. So there's a multi relationship building is a multi-pronged process. And one of the gifts of the Friday Fellowship is our two-year container. And so unlike some of our peer fellowship programs across the state, we have a two-year time frame that is really intended to nurture the pace of relationship, it just takes time. I'm remembering mm-hmm. earlier in our conversation, mm-hmm. I reached back to 2012 to figure out how I, how and why I came across you both. Right. And so, right. And, and two years, you know, is, is also not enough time. I'm also aware that time I've been thinking a lot recently about the concept of time equity. Um, I was listening recently to um, this American Life mm-hmm. episode and Jerome Ellis gifted this beautiful concept of temporal accessibility. What kind of access do we have to time itself? Mm-hmm. How do we use it? And who gets to step into time, right? I'm just hearing so many resonances of eight minutes and 46 seconds, right? Like mm-hmm. what what happens when we don't all have equal access to time or we don't use it in a similar way? And so this two-year container does lift up for us the possibility of saying what matters here is that we are building a foundation for folks to gather um, mm-hmm. gather one another in, whatever that mm-hmm. might mean or look like. And we all are di- have different capacity to right. see and hear one another at the outset of these journeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the relationship is, and I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, it's sort of it's key it's to key. where we begin and where we end. It is the work of the fellowship,
1: right? Right. Yeah, and and I'm you know I'm I'm really reminded of uh, one of the what I consider to be, and I think James Baldwin would agree with this as well. But one of the principal challenges to community building in North America and in the U.S. given its its social history, um, and, and its political history, and that challenge I think has to do with personhood, mm-hmm. right, Meredith? So you just That's talked right. about, um, you know. Um, recognizing, noticing that, that non-speaking persons are there and inviting them to speak or, or soliciting um, what they know. Um, and I think that, that one of the things that has unfortunately defined um, the American experience, especially for the Black community, um, is a kind of um, unremitting con- confrontation, wrestling with... Um, the, the, the theory, the conception of personhood under which the United States operates, mm-hmm. right? So so some individuals are, are persons, are knowing persons. Other individuals are non-persons. Mm-hmm. They're non-persons. And I think that we're at a moment where uh, we can uh, uh, talk honestly about that. We, we uh, confront that while also exploring other theories of personhood mm-hmm. that exist beyond the American ambit, beyond the Western ambit. So, I was just the other day in class talking about an African theory of personhood that comes out of the Southern, the Southern Ghanaian um, context, uh, where, where we find a theory of personhood that says, look, what it means to be a person is to be born with, with certain innate capacity, certain innate moral, rationalistic capacity. Um, and that, that innate capacity. Um cannot be taken away from the individual.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the corollary is that from this African perspective, one cannot fail at being a person. Right? right you 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 must always recognize the individual's personhood. Now we can fail to achieve certain goals. we We can you know we mm-hmm. can we can fail to live up to certain community standards, right? Uh, but our personhood is never in question. right Right? and so and so as as a as an individual whose personhood is intact right we're forced to recognize that okay this is this is a knowing body this is a knowing individual yeah and you know it is incumbent upon us also as knowing bodies to engage what it is that they know Mm-hmm. About their own lives, about this, about society, about the world, um, and so yeah, I, I just, to, just, just to add that, I really do think that mm-hmm. that you know the, the the time is is really ripe for an exploration of 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 more um more productive theories of personhood that mm-hmm. may lie again beyond the borders of the United States. You're right. Yeah.
2: Can I just really quickly respond, Marcus? I'm so appreciating that because, and, and again, it just gives us an opportunity to celebrate Diane's um, teaching once again. Because one of <laughs> one of one of my one of our sister colleagues and one of Diane's students, uh, Dr. Georgette Legister, um, has come alongside as one of the design collaborators yes. for the incoming fellowship class, and mm-hmm. she um, and I talked at length about African conceptions of personhood in the design mm-hmm. for this next fellowship class. What does it mean to decenter also the uniquely a North American, although the whole middle passage, of course, extends beyond this continent, but to get beyond the North American conceptions of human capital, to Mm -hmm. think about a different kind of personhood, right? so that we can actually lift up a capital of humanity you know, and to find in other cultural contexts, rich, rich definitions of personhood. Mm-hmm. And it's been such a pleasure to collaborate with um, Dr. Legister on the design uh, and in her mm-hmm. work. And she comes uh, just recently stepped down from her position at uh, Fearless Dialogue, which is a fascinating and wonderful dialogue partner mm-hmm. for the fellowship. And is just about to begin a fellowship at Harvard Divinity School. Oh, wow. wow. Um, so, yeah, oh, yeah. So it's been really rich to hear those non-North American um, definitions um, pop up as well.
0: Well, I want to thank you again, Meredith, for taking the time to have this conversation. Um, I think both the points that you and Marcus just made are important for us to think about as we end this particular conversation. And one thing I would ask, Marcus, the point that you made about um, thinking about these conversations and engaging those conversations, my question for us as Americans, as, as civilians, or as North Carolinians, is that do we have the courage to actually engage those conversations, to lean into, as Meredith has so so beautifully put it, to lean into those conversations with the hope of developing the type of relationships that will enhance our community? And I think that that's a big thing for us to kind of think about as as we kind of of in this conversation, and Meredith and I had already made a commitment that we're going to come back. She's going to join us again, and with uh, with JoJo it, to bring her on to actually engage this conversation with us as well. But I think that Meredith, you have said to me on a number of uh, of occasions, and I have really, really appreciated that in many ways the relationship that you, me, and Marcus have developed with each other, which are cross racial divide, you know, racial difference that are really a model of what is possible um, for Mm -hmm. us as people to develop if we're willing to take the time. You and Meredith, you've talked so much about the importance and Marcus, you've done it as well, the importance of listening, um, to listen to each other's story. And it is such an important component of that. But thank you again for taking the time to join us on this episode of The Waters and Harvey Show. And we're going to look forward to you being back with us again.
2: Oh, I look forward to it. Thank you both. It's been a real pleasure. What a treat to to be in conversation and to listen, you know, to listen in. And again, you have named the color line, certainly for folks who cannot see me. I am a white woman on the call um, and just delighted to, to have friendships and relationships across a lot of different lines, but certainly across the color line that remains such an important place for us all to step up and lean across and listen in um, so that we can do the work to which we are called.
0: Well, thank you, Meredith, for the work that you're doing. Thanks for letting us be a part of that work. I'm looking forward to working with you over the next couple of years in the Friday Fellowship. So Marcus, any closing thought here as we get ready to end this episode? That's to keep in mind that the community uh, is a verb. Right, right. And we must be willing to suffer in order to realize it. Mm-hmm. So this has been a lot of fun. So Marcus and I want to take the time to remind our listeners, you all in the audience, Thank you for joining us again. And we want to remind you that the Watterson Harvest Show is produced normally at Blue Ridge Public Radio (laughs) in the studio, but it's produced by Blue Ridge
1: Public Radio as Marcus and I sit in our home offices. Right. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, on the BPR mobile app, on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. So you can also get in touch, as you all know, with us on Facebook, our
0: Twitter. And we'll look forward to talking to you all again the next time we get together. Take care. Take care. Thank you so much.